we're going to continue our, our study. Uh, actually, we just started last Wednesday. We just diving right in to the life of Moses and things that, that we as believers in this year, 2019, on this side of the cross, and he lived on that side of the cross, what we can glean from his life, what could be learned and taught from the life of Moses. And uh, I want you to open with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. And we read this last week, and I'm not going to read it every week, but this is sort of our theme. Some of you may have missed last week. Hebrews 11, verse 24. Seems like I go to this passage a lot. Uh, but Hebrews 11, 24, let's just read starting uh, in verse 24 and go uh, down through 27. Through faith Moses, when he was called, come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the approach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured a seeing him who is invisible. Goes on to say, through faith he kept the Passover. That was the first Passover. Okay, when the Lord instituted that, it was not just symbolic. It, it was symbolic of Christ coming many years later, but it was real in the sense that they took a real lamb and real blood and, and did the things that the Lord required. And, and the, the angel of death passed over everyone that had the blood on their doors. And in uh, faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as, as by dry land, which the Egyptians ascending to do were drowned. It's an incredible story. We know it. You've known it since if you grew up in church, you knew it. That story from a little child. You probably taught it to your children and, and shared it, and it, it ought to be. It's that type of uh, Event. It's not a make believe. This isn't Jack and the Beanstalk, okay? This is real. This was a real man, Moses. And the Bible tells us that by faith he did what he did. Four times in that whole passage that we read, by faith Moses. So we don't have to wonder and scratch and wonder, you know, what was the secret of his success? And he was a great success in, his, in the sense of living for God, living with God, serving God, fulfilling God's purposes for his life. He was a sinful man like you and me, imperfect. And the Bible is uh, is not, you know, shot to point out his flaws. You know, of all, it's amazing, we're going to talk about it later, but he did not get to enter into the promised land that he led the people to the brink of because of a sin in his life. And we'll talk about that. That'll be one whole lesson one day. But still, he, he is, is uh, his secret of his success was his faith in God. And that really is the only thing that separates Moses from you can start listing people and Abraham and David and Samuel, you know, and, and Enoch and, and different people and Isaiah and Jeremiah and the apostles and so forth. The only thing that really separates them from you and me. From the same race of Adam, okay? All born to that race of Adam. And if we're saved, we're all redeemed by the same blood of Christ. They were saved by grace through faith in the Old Testament, looking forward to the coming of the Savior. He was promised in Genesis 3. When man first sinned, the promise of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world was given. 
And so the only thing that would separate this man was not, he wasn't from another planet, you know, or something like this. He wasn't born of a different line of people somehow that, you know, well, you could expect that from Moses. After all, he was born, you know, into that race of people or something like that. No, he's a human being. He's a sinner. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And yet God used him in a, in tremendous, in a tremendous way. And it, the secret was the faith that he had. It would have been like a simple childlike faith. That's the greatest kind of faith of all. It's not the weakest kind. The childlike faith to me is a faith that just, because he said it, I'm going to believe it. Amen. I use the example of parents all the time. I know our kids rise up, praise God they do, as they get a little older. But when they're little, I don't know what age, if you were to say to your little child, I don't know, a little child, you know, Daddy, when I was young, I, I lifted 2,000 pounds over my head. I used to pick up the car and carry it down the street. You know, when you're a little kid, the, the, the kid's looking up like, they think Dad can do anything. They, they would swear to it. They would swear to it their, to their friends at school that their dad used to pick up the pickup truck and head down the block, you know, or lift it up to change the tire. They, they wise up and they come to understand that wasn't true. But the point is, that is, is a childlike faith in the sense that we're sinful men and we can tease with our children like that. But God is, it says, says of the Lord that it's impossible for him to lie. And so if he says something, he'll do it. I need, I need to trust him like a little child, not like my earthly father, but like God, my father, as a little child. So when I say childlike faith, I don't mean it as a weak faith. I mean it as a strong faith, a simple childlike faith. You start looking at people like D.L. Moody and George Mueller, and people are just like, wow, how did that happen? D.L. Moody was uneducated. He didn't even speak well with, with great grammar and English. And he was one of the greatest soldiers ever that ever lived on the planet. How did he do that? Because he trusted the gospel. He believed it was God's power unto salvation. And he just stepped out there with no backup plan. And I'll be repeating myself a lot because this is important. It's important for us. It's a joy to my heart to get a little, grab hold of it just a little bit more. Okay? That's a childlike faith. And what we're going to talk about today is specifically, if you still have your Bible open there, we're going to pick up a, a verse we didn't read in Hebrews 11, 23. Now listen to this. It says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents, because they saw that he was a proper child, and they were not of the afraid of the king's commandment. So we're going to kind of go chron chronologically through the life of Moses. Over the next weeks, probably months, we'll be in this on, on Wednesday nights. And obviously that wasn't Moses' faith that hit him when he was born, hit him for three months, okay? It was the faith of his parents. We're going to talk about it as we go on tonight towards especially the second half of the message. We're going to talk about the faith of his parents and the importance to that, that is, how that can relate to us, okay, to have children. And so, uh, let's just, I just want to kind of paint a picture of the, the, the circumstances or the environment into which baby Moses was born, okay? What was life like? It was very unfriendly. The life he was born into wanted to take his life instantly. Mm -hmm. Okay? So just keep this in mind. You know, we, we're born and 
Uh, you know, right now, if somebody's about to have a baby or has a baby, it's, it's great cause of celebration, and it ought to be. And there's flowers and there's gifts and there's preparation for weeks and months before and days and weeks afterwards. And there's a real joy and excitement and a celebration. You announce it and you let people know because um, it's a great blessing to have a child. And it is, the child is a gift from the Lord. But he was born into an environment that was very unfriendly, okay, dangerous, literally life-threatening because of his circumstances. He was born, if not in, but probably right outside within walking distance, most of the Bible scholars say, of the great city of Memphis in Egypt, not Tennessee. And this was a, the, the main metropolis of the whole nation. Egypt was the world power at this time. It's not like it is now. You know, we don't look at Egypt as a world power. It was at this time. And they had the great pharaohs and the, the pyramids were there. You could look off in the distance and see them rising up out of the sand dunes, these great pyramids. But in, in Memphis, that was where the, the seat or the place of the, the law, okay, the government, the military, the art, the literature, and, and also their religion, their idolatry. Okay, and they were steeped in idolatry at this time. This is the environment that old baby Moses was born into. This deliverer of, of Israel, of the Hebrew people, was born into this. And uh, these temple priests of the idolatry would be walking by, going into the city. The temple was there in that city. And uh, he was born uh, amid a lot of wealth around him. You know, he himself, not a partaker of that, but there was riches and gold and, and all of the precious things in, in, a, in a worldly sense that were there. But he belonged to a different race. And I would say we can relate this to our lives. He was not an Egyptian. He was a Hebrew. Mother and father were Hebrews. So he was like an alien, even though he was born there. All right? He was an alien and... Uh, his family, his ancestors, we know the story, had migrated there in the, the days of Jacob, the patriarch, and his 12 sons. It was Joseph who led the way, sold into slavery. We know that whole story, right? And I just don't have time to recount it, but that's when he went there. There were 70 in all, the Bible says. Jacob and his children and grandchildren, and they moved there, and, uh, and they lived there, and it was a friendlier much friendlier uh, Pharaoh at that time that had welcomed them with open arms. Joseph had found great favor in his sight. And so Joseph calls to his father Jacob and brings the whole family there. And they get able to choose whatever place they want to live. And, and they chose to live in Goshen, which was green amidst of all the sand and the sunburn of everything on, on the ground. Goshen was green. And it was watered by the, the river there, and that was the place for raising cattle and sheep. And that's what um, Jacob and his children, his boys, that's what they did for a living. So they settled there, and they prospered there. The Lord blessed them. So they came in a time really of the famine, but they came welcome. You know, they came as, as welcome. We're so glad you're here. Jacob, in his old age, actually saw Pharaoh, that Pharaoh, face to face. They had a conversation. He, he blessed Pharaoh. He put his hands and prayed for him. And Pharaoh was just like, whatever you want, 
You choose the lands before you. And this is Joseph's family. He loved Joseph. Joseph had gotten him, basically spared the life of the nation from dying when the famine came. You know the story. And so, anyway, so they welcomed him in, earth, in, in friendly times, but the nation grew and prospered. And the Hebrew people, God blessed them. And so they, they multiplied, they prospered. A lot of people think it could have been around 2 million people by the time, remember, 70 souls came in. It's roughly, you know, the time Moses was born, probably a little less than 400 years. But now they're numbering about 2 million. And they belong to uh, an oppressed race because once they grew and prospered, this new favor that came along, he didn't know Joseph. Joseph had died long before all those original Hebrews had died out. And now he just sees the people that are blessed. He sees the people that are prospering and multiplying. They're, everything they touch seems to be doing well. Well, it's because God was. They were not idolatries. They, they're serving God and God was blessing them. And so um, the, the Pharaoh, uh, this current Pharaoh when Moses was born had the mindset that, wait a minute, we need to watch these sons of Jacob because they're going to outnumber us and if we ever have a war, they more than likely might join with our enemies and fight against us. They actually could turn on us like a dime. And there was no indication that they would do that. It was just uh, fear and suspicion and that kind of thing. And, and fear often brings out the worst in people. And so he makes this decree to begin to oppress the Hebrews. So that he was born, he was born into not only um, an alien race, being the Hebrews, but an oppressed race. He comes onto the scene at the time when the Hebrews were being forced into slavery. So just imagine if you were a dad or a father during this time, your dad had been a shepherd and or whatever, a farmer in this beautiful green land. It's where you grew up. Your grandfather had been there, great-grandfather. And now you're born, and one day the decree comes out, you're going to be a slave. You're going to make bricks. We're going to set uh, taskmasters over you. It was just a decree. They're going to put people with whips over you, and they weren't kind and merciful in asking you to do it. They were demanding it. And so they, they instantly went from take care of their farms and their land and crops and cattle to to be enslaved for the Egyptians. This is what he was born into. And I want you to read this with me. I turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 15. Because I'm trying to relate this, and it does very well relate to believers in, in all ages. But look at John chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me. This is Jesus speaking unto his disciples. You know that it hated me before it hated you. If, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, that I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. There's some other similar scriptures, but we see that uh, I know that the Hebrews were a physical people, but they were chosen of God. 
they were God's people, the apple of his eye, the chosen nation to be a light to the Gentiles. We're chosen as the church of Jesus Christ, the blood bought, and we're an alien here on the earth. This world is not our home. We're an oppressed people because the God of this world and everything um, that he controls, which God has put into his control for the time being, is opposed to Christ and God and Jehovah and the blood of Jesus and the word of God and the people of God and the church of the living God. And so we're oppressed uh, like no other people. It's amazing that the Hebrews have always maintained an identity though, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That is a miracle because after 400 years, you thought, you would think, like most people do, they would just assimilate and pretty soon you couldn't tell the difference between uh, son of Jacob or son of Abraham and any other Egyptian, they would have just sort of intermingled. Mm -hmm. But for all these years, from Abraham till today, the Jews are still an identifiable people. On every nation of the earth, there's no other nation like that. Dave Hunt used to say it's one of the biggest proofs that God is God and the Bible is true. Mm -hmm. uh, and not just like, well, what makes God different than the God of Allah, you know, or, or the God of the Quran or something else? Israel. He would say, Israel, take time to study and look mm -hmm. at it. And we don't have time to do that. But um, the fact that they maintain their identity. And so now they're being made to serve, the Bible says, with rigor. They're being made to serve as slaves, harsh, cruel, work hard, demand, much demanded of them, and so forth, from morning to night. And they begin to question. We know we'll see it later when Moses is grown and talks to the, the Hebrews. Uh, they begin to question even the existence of God. You know, is he even still real? We heard about the God of Jacob. And they, the Hebrews begin to question is he really merciful? Look at what he's allowing to happen to us. And so he was born at a time, Moses was born at a time of unusual trouble. You'd have to say there was trouble. And um, all this was going on, but you know what was untouched by it and is such a blessing was his family. I'm talking about the little nuclear family, they call it today, of his father, Amram, his mother, Jochebed, and his sister. That little family was still intact. And, and I could say, and you would agree to this, I know that that's such a blessing when everything falls around, apart around you. Even if our nation just went in the tank, you know, and things crumbled around us, to be able to go home and have your husband and your wife and your children and your, your parents, your brothers and sisters, to have the family intact and all loyal to God and all loyal to one another, you couldn't put a price on that. Mm -hmm. And so there's still... Uh, such a blessing that comes out of this. And so the, the people are still, even though they're being forced to serve, and it's getting harder and harder and harder, he's just cranking up the heat more and more. Um, it says, during the midst of their rigorous service, that the people multiplied and became very mighty. This was even after they became slaves. So I'm giving this, this groundwork because I, I think it's important. But that is God's way in the sense that God will have at the absolute darkest night when you and I would think it cannot get any worse than it is now. 
and it gets a little worse, okay? And you're praying, and you want it to get better. Instead of getting better, even staying the same, something else gets worse. And it's that's when the way God works, before the sunlight comes out, before the dawn. And you've heard it said, it was darkest before the dawn. It really is true. It's darkest before the dawn. And I've, I've known it in my life. I say it to myself. Things get better before they get, I mean, get worse before they get better. So they just do. They get worse before they get better. And that's just God's way. And when he, when he does it, when he fixes the fix, when he brings the deliverance, when he brings the daylight in the midst of the darkness, it's going to be that much greater. We'll be that much weaker in ourselves and that much stronger in Jesus. Weaker in ourselves and stronger in our faith. Uh, that's the way it was for Job. Somebody comes and tells him one bad report. And while he's just finishing speaking, this servant that tells him a bad report, you're, you know, some sapiens fell on your, your, your servants in the field, they took all your camels. Well, he, before he's done speaking, someone else says, and, and, and something happened and all your cattle were taken. And, and this strong wind blew, and uh, all your children were having a feast and a party in this house, and a strong wind just out of nowhere came and flattened the house, and all your kids are dead. It's just one report after the other. He didn't have time to catch his breath between losing this, but he lost this, 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 and his children. And you think, is God cruel? Is God See, does he cease to exist? Does he cease to be my God or care about me? Job thought all those things. But he didn't sin with his mouth, the Bible says. And God turned it around. And so that's the way it is. It was the darkest. Uh, when when the, the day that Peter's execution was at hand. Remember he'd have been arrested. They'd already killed James. And now they've arrested Peter. Determined to bring him out and kill him after the feast that was going on. To execute him. And it was the day of his execution at midnight. When the, the, the saints were praying and the angel came and delivered him from prison. Amen. It got darker and darker and closer. And in more impending danger and doom. It's getting worse. It's getting more desperate. There's no hope. And yet God sends an angel. Sends an earthquake. I mean, and opens the, the prison door and had an earthquake in heaven and opened the door. It was when the scaffolds that Haman had built for Mordecai, they had finished building this big scaffold. He was going to make an example out of the Jew Mordecai for not bowing down to wicked Haman. And it was when the scaffold was finished being built and all in place and ready to hang Mordecai that God turned that around. And Esther found favor Amen. and the decree was turned back around on Haman. That's how God works. Right. We need to see that that is why we work that way. He's doing it for probably many reasons. It's for his greatest glory. It's a bigger miracle. It's for our faith to be strengthened. Because y'all, he is not only the God of deliverance, he's the God in the fire. That's, right. that's what I think we miss a lot of times. We, we see the deliverance. We see the Red Sea part. We see uh, Peter rescued from prison. But he was, he was still God in the prison when Peter was in the prison. Mm -hmm. He was with the three Hebrews, not only when they came out of the fire, but when they were in the fire. And we need to see that. 
And God wants us to see that. So he was born, Moses was born in just this darkest, most bleak time as an alien persecuted race. And the parents saw that as it, it, it puts in the word of God that he was a proper child, okay? That means he was goodly, he was healthy and well and, and beautiful and everything was good. And they didn't want to just heed the decree. The decree was now not only the people slaves, but they were still multiplying as slaves. So Pharaoh gives a decree that every man child in Hebrews, Hebrews when he was born was to be killed. It's just like uh, was done in Jesus' day, right? With Herod, King Herod, that's a wicked thing. Mm -hmm. I can't think that our abortion, our abortion is much better than that. But uh, I just want to read this because there's a scripture here. It says that that the, the Jews, had, there's indication from other scriptures that the Hebrews in Moses' day when he was born had really stopped following after God, that they had actually entered in by this time into the idolatry that was going on there. And I just want to read this. Um, this is from Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 6 through 8. In the day that I lifted up my hand unto them to bring them forth of the land of Egypt into a land flowing with milk and honey, the glory of all lands, then said I unto them, so this is a historical account in Ezekiel's day, Cast you away, every man, the abominations of his eyes, and defile not yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God, but they rebelled against me and would not hearken to me. They did not, every man, cast away the abominations of their eyes, neither did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Now jo Joshua, later, when he had the Jews get ready to bring them into the promised land, he said, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. Or are you going to serve the uh, other gods like your fathers did in the land of Egypt, the idols of Egypt, are you going to serve the one true living God? So it's pretty clear that they had drifted far from serving God, and now they're serving idols, uh, the idols of Egypt. The Sabbath day was forgotten, the rite of circumcision was forgotten, and it was used. And, uh, but you know what? There were some families that were being faithful, and Moses was born in this kind of family. And I would say America is not just this one godly nation that it may have been at some other points in, in its history, but there are still people here that know God and serve God. You know, if you think about it, this church, or a church similar, not just this church, Cornerstone, but I would include our church, it ought to have 5,000 people here. We ought to be needing a bigger building tomorrow. We, we, you know what I'm saying? We ought to be filling up the Pete Maravich Assembly Center because the truth is being preached and people getting saved and giving their lives to the Lord. That's really what's good news. But, but you know, people are watching TV tonight. They're barbecuing for 4th of July and getting things ready to go to the fishing camp or whatever. And But Moses was born into a family that was faithful to the Lord. Now, we don't know a whole lot, but I can tell you what, there's enough here to where we're not stretching the truth to say that. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to give you what we do have. There were some... There was a covenant that God had made. We read it last, but I'm going to read it again. Genesis chapter 15. <clears throat> this is the covenant that God made with Abraham. Now, the college and career has studied all this in the last several months. Genesis and now they're in Exodus. So they, 
ought to be right on top of what we're doing, what we're doing on Wednesday nights. So look at Genesis 15, 13 and 14. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed, I didn't have any seed at this time, but this was the covenant, and he's foretelling about it, that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs. I'm going to Egypt. That's where Moses was born. And shall serve them. And they shall afflict them 400 years. So here's a prophecy. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterwards shall they, that's the Hebrews, come out with great substance. All that happened. You don't defend it like some prophecy of Nostradamus, you know, so can make it try to fit something. It's pretty specific. Your seed is going to serve in a strange land. They're going to be strangers there for 400 years. And after 400 years, I'm going to bring them out with great substance. And the nation that they served, I'm going to judge. It's pretty clear the more it unfolds. Hey, this is it. Well, the parents of Moses held on to this promise. And they knew that it was close. It's about 400 years. I'm not saying it's today or tomorrow. But if we're right close to that time where God promised that he's going to bring us out. You know what? There was nothing else to signify that that would happen. I'm sure that the people in desperation were calling out to God. Have mercy. They're wanting us to serve. They're making us do more bricks. And I still got to feed my own family. Tending my crops and everything. And now they're not giving us the supplies, the straw to make the brick. They're saying, spend half your day to the first part of the morning going and gather straw to make the bricks. They're just cranking up the heat. I'm sure they're calling out to God. There was no sign that they were getting ready to come out of there. Mm -hmm. Other than the promise of God. And do you know that that's all that we need? That's, that's all that we need is the promise of God. By faith, Moses. That's what we're going to be talking about for the next several months. And so they held to it. You know what a family or a person or an individual Christian, we can feed upon that like somebody would feed upon bread. We can hang on to that promise and we can feast on it. And it is our meat day and night. And it is what sustains us. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so... By faith, when Moses was born, he was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. I heard an old preacher say, or some, somewhere read it, that he that fears God doesn't need to fear anybody else. You start with a healthy and a holy fear of God. And I really fear him and I fear him above all. If I really fear God, fear God like the Bible says to fear him, then I don't have to fear anything else. Not lion's mouths, not being burned at the stake, not the laws being contrary to us. He was telling me, and I have not researched it, but she was telling me just this week, something in California where there, uh, I don't know if it's local governments, the state government, or what it is, I'll have to look into it, but they are uh, examining the private discussions and counseling of the Christian pastors to see if a homosexual came to a Christian pastor for counsel, even if that homosexual wanted help and knew they were wrong and they wanted to have this lifestyle, they wanted to get their life right with God, that pastor is not allowed 
to tell them homosexuality is wrong. I'll try to help you out of this. I don't know what the consequences are, I don't, but that's a chilling kind of thing. I told you, you're just going to have to visit me in prison. I mean, I'm not making light of that. Believe me, I don't want to go to prison. But the fact of the matter is, if you fear God, I'm not saying I'm any kind of superhero, but if we fear God, we don't have to fear that. That's happening in the United States of America right now, today, as we're having church. I don't know the extent of it, I don't know the punitive part of it, if you break the law, but the fact that they're checking to see what you tell someone in private, and that you cannot tell them that this sin that they're in is wrong, and we will help you get out of it by the blood of Jesus. You cannot tell them that legally. Um, that's where we are. And things move in directions. That's a direction. It's not going to get better. That's going to get worse. Okay? God can have mercy on it and change it. Don't, don't get me wrong. But, uh, so the parents didn't fear the commandment of who the king. The commandment was that the Hebrews, if you have a male child, he's got to be killed. Period. They didn't fear that commandment. They feared God. And they made a choice. And their choice was uh, to choose what God says. And a lot of times, you know, y'all, we're just, we always have another choice. It seems like you're in a rock and a hard place, right? You ever been between a rock and a hard place? I have. You know, if you turn this way, it's bad news. That, that's not a good outcome. Not if I turn this way, it's not a good outcome. Uh, but there's always another choice, and that's to do what God says. Amen. And I was thinking about that. You know, their choice wasn't do what the king said, and you're going to lose your child, or, or do this, and, and choose. It's going to be bad any way they choose. They can choose to do what God said, and then let him take care of them and the baby. Amen. That's what we need to do. This is what I'm learning from this. I'm learning it, learning it more from this. And so, you know what she did? They were not afraid of the king's commandment. And what they did is they took the child and placed him in God's hands. It's more than just a basket, okay? Made of the reeds from alongside the river. They woke, she wove a basket, the mother did, out of these reeds. And then coated it with some kind of coating to waterproof it. Put the little baby inside. We was three months old at this point. Couldn't hide him any longer. But it wasn't just like, oh well, we've run out of options, I guess we'll do this. You don't get that picture. You get the picture that they did this and they put him in God's hands and it's like we're giving him to you now. Mm -hmm. This is not plan B or we wish it could be different or we just hope that it works out. Maybe by some miracle he'll, I don't know, he'll be okay. It wasn't like that. They entrusted him into God's hands. And the Bible says, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. So what she was doing was more than just building a little basket and doing the best she could. They could have kept trying to hide him for a little longer. They could have tried to run away. They, they could have tried some other options. But this is what they did. And they really were doing, not putting the baby in a basket. They were putting the baby in God's hands. And entrusting him completely to God's care. Thank you. They had that promise, and so they're feasting on it. But in the fourth generation, they shall come here again. That was to Abraham. They're going to come out of that land, Egypt, and they're going to come here again. So you know they had to be praying, the parents, 
God, we're getting close. We're trusting that you're going to do it. We're trusting you to take care of this baby. And so uh, maybe they were going to be part of that exodus that was promised for the Lord. And so she would probably pray, the mother would, call upon the Lord. And again, the whole family lived on this faith in God. They did what was right. Not saying all the Hebrews were doing this, but a lot of Hebrew children died. Okay, they didn't hide because they were afraid of the king's commandment. Here, you know, take the baby. I'm sure it was hard, but we know this family trusted them totally to the Lord. Put the child in the basket, and then the Bible says that uh, that Miriam was set to watch over. So they put the little baby Moses into the basket and put him in the edge of the river. There's crocodiles there. There's all kinds of things there. And yet, that was the safest place on the planet. Can you imagine? The king in his palace or was, no more, was no safer than this little baby. So it's a little helpless little child in God's hands. It's the safest place to be. Amen? So Miriam was said not to watch like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? Is he going to tip over? Is he going to drown? The Bible doesn't say any of that. The Bible said the Lord... Uh, she was set there simply to see what would become of the child. In other words, how's God, how's God going to do it? Mm-hmm. I don't think there was a great amount of fear. There might have been some kind of anxiety, but I think they were really trusting God um, to do this and to, to take care of a little baby. And so she set to watch what will be done of him, and they're praying and they're trusting God, and she's saying, God, you cannot fail me. He's just having to trust, having to trust the Lord in that way. I want to just close tonight with uh, a couple of scriptures. Look with me, if you would, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. 2 Timothy 1, 5. Paul's talking to his young disciple, Timothy, who's the pastor of Ephesus, who might have been overwhelmed. He was young. And this, you know, the city of Ephesus and what that was like, and all that he was going through. Not to mention the, the problems in the church, but he's, he's encouraging him. He says, Paul says, when I, Second Timothy one five, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned, that means the genuine faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in, in thee also. What are we saying here as we close? One thing that I want to glean from this chapter and to bring out from this chapter, the simple childlike faith, but how that can be uh, imparted to our children. Now, every man's going to have to stand on their own two feet. But just because you're a strong believer doesn't mean you couldn't have a child that walks away, you know, at some point and maybe not serve the Lord. But... Looking at the other side of that coin, we definitely see where God takes parents and grandparents and uses them to impart that belief into their children. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. And look at, at the same, uh, 2 Timothy 4, 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Parents, I know you know this. 
But there's nothing more important, no more important job that you have on this planet than to instill Jesus Christ into your children. Morning, noon, and night. Morning, noon, and night. As they're little infants and don't know what's going on, and you're rocking them in a cradle and singing to them until uh, they grow up, till they become more independent, and they're driving now, and now they're starting to move away from home. And all their lives, when they're growing up, they don't have children of their own to still impart Jesus Christ to them. Faith in God. Faith in God, God above all things. Providing them a roof over their head and, uh, you know, some mutual fund that they can cash in when you get older is not more important than instilling Jesus Christ into them. It is not. Those things are important. If God allows us to do those, He'll make you a good father. He'll make you a good mother. And He will be our provider for all of us so we can take care of ourselves and our children. He will. But what your responsibility is and mine is to impart to our children true faith in Jesus. We don't see a lot about Amram and Jochebed, but what we do see is by faith, they, did, they didn't fear the commandment of the king. By faith, they took their child, weaved a little basket, put him in the, in the river, and said, God, you take care of it. We're going to be part of this exodus, I think. It's coming up soon. We're going to be part of that. This promise 400 years ago, nobody around us is believing in it. Nobody ever talks about it. But I know about that promise. And I know about God who doesn't lie. And we have all these promises of God. They're, we're, they're filled here. We need to trust in God. And you need to tell your children, they need to see that not only that you're a Christian, not only that you go to church, but that you trust God. When a tragedy hits your home, you're turning to God and they see you turn to God. They don't understand about the, the market or this happened or getting laid off at work. Or they don't understand any of all that stuff or what a radiologist reads in a, in a CAT scan. They don't understand all that as little children. They do. They can see mom and dad turning to Jesus in everything and trusting him in everything. They can see mom and dad thanking God for every blessing that comes their way. They can see mom and dad thanking God when times are hard and not going well. Well, they can see mom and dad loving and forgiving people that have done very mean things to them and said mean things about them undeservedly and just uh, cruel things to them. They can see mom and dad, you know what, honey, we're going to forgive them. We're really going to forgive them. Guess what? They're sick and I'm going to pray for them. Not only do I forgive them, blow them out of my life, I'm going to care for them. They can see that. And they can grow up in that and feast upon that. This is the type of family. He was just an infant. You know, Moses was born into that family. You know how the story goes. We'll look at it. His family gets to raise him. And nurse him up to a certain age. And so he gets back into that family. We'll look at that uh, more next week. But I'm closing with this, this one scripture. Turn with me if you would. Psalm 27, 1 through 3. We all, know, we all know Psalm 27. It's a famous psalm. But if you, they didn't fear the commandment of the king, they feared God. And how did they do this? They did it by faith. Psalm 27. This is what we're closing with. 1 through 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came up to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, 
My heart shall not fear, though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. So I'm just going to stop right there, because God is on our side. This is constant with the people of God. It doesn't matter which, what page in your Bible you turn to. The men and women of God of that era, they would have the same testimony. I'm going to have to trust God and not fear the command of the king and not fear what men can do. The Lord is the light of my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? So I need to have God big in my sight. In my spiritual focus, I need to see God as big as he is because there's a lot of scary things around us and they're getting scarier. There's a lot of darkness around us and it's getting darker. There's a lot of circumstances that are contrary and they're getting more contrary and they're going to be more contrary tomorrow. We're not to panic and run like a bunch of rats and go hide out somewhere. We're to stand in the Lord. If he moves us somewhere, then he moves us somewhere. But we're going to keep our eyes and our trust in God. And we're going to tell others about the Savior because that's what he's called us to do. Start with our children and let you go from there. We're not going to fear the commandment of the king. We're going to be wise as serpents and harmless as stuff. We're not looking for trouble. We're going to serve God. Amen? And Father, we just come before you. And these altars are open. Come and just call upon the Lord. Just come and meet with him. Ask him, say, God, I need you to be big in my heart, in my mind. I need to see you big because the giants in the land look very intimidating. They look very scary. They've almost shut me down. They've almost paralyzed me, God. But I want to trust in you like Moses' parents did. They didn't fear the wrath of the king or the commandment of the king. And so, God, we trust in you. We believe. Help thou our unbelief. We're living in perilous times. You told us perilous times shall come. Well, those times are here. The times that Paul prophesied about to Timothy are here in 2019. Perilous times shall come, and Lord, we're living in those. And you do not, you have not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. I need that, Lord. There's nothing special about me or any of us here. There's only a great God that we serve. And Lord, give us that simple childlike faith to trust you, to believe, thus saith the Lord, and to trust you to stand upon your promises. In Jesus' name. Thank you.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you.